You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Our Heavenly Father, we don't come in our own strength, dear Lord. We're reminded of that so many times. And we thank you, dear Lord, that your word says that Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that, Lord, it is not based on our strength or our abilities, but Christ in us. And, dear Lord, uh, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this song has reminded us, every one of us, no matter what we may face in life, no matter what difficulty may come our way, that the answer, dear Lord, lies in our identity and our resting and our reliance and our faith in you, Lord Jesus. You alone are worthy to be praised. We pray, dear Lord, even now that, dear Lord, as you've already been speaking through praise and worship and reminding us over and over again the songs that we sing that our sufficiency is in Christ and we pray dear Lord now as we look to your word as we focus on the lion of the tribe of Judah that Lord you continue to speak and we give you all the glory and honor in the name of Jesus amen 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 Thank you, praise team. I want to invite you to take your Bibles. I'm dealing with the crud, so you can pray for me. We are in Genesis chapter 49. And we're picking up at verse 8 today. <coughs> Genesis chapter 49, beginning at verse 8. Real quickly, um, when our men went to the country of Zimbabwe to work there and to spend time among our friends there, Mafundis Jaina, um, Gibson, and uh, Midian Chitsede, as we were there, we decided at the end of our trip to go to a place they call the Lion Park. And here, unlike our zoo... It is more of a natural habitat for lions and for different animals. So in this environment, you're able to get in your vehicle and actually drive through the lion park. And so we were there, our team was lucky because it was feeding time. So we were getting ready to see these lions feeding on these pieces and parts of carcass. They had told us to put our windows up and to remain in the vehicles because there's no protection. We did not listen and we should have known when we were going into the facility that when a lion raised its tail and shot urine 50 feet at the open window that we were in trouble. (laughs) This is a country where if you want to be macho, they don't care. There's no lawsuits. There's no danger of that. So they were just uh, fine. They warned us, and there we went. Well, we weren't even in there good before we had our windows down and open so that we could get a real experience. 
We went to one area where they were feeding the lions. When we got there, we were sitting there watching. The windows were down. We were hanging out of the windows. When all of a sudden, two of these big male male lions got into a fight. And in a matter of seconds, one of those lions chased the other one, smashing him against the van. And there were five barungus, five white Americans that were screaming like a bunch of little girls. (laughs) (coughs) Steve Taylor, in his book, Alpha Predator, also talks about lions. He tells the story of a group of hunters that were there. There were some young college students, one young man in particular, and the guide had told them, listen, stay together. When we camp tonight, stay close, stay near the fire, and make sure that your tents are zipped up. One college student ignored the warnings, set his tent up away from the camp, away from the fire, and on top of that, left the flap of his tent open. During the night, they began to hear the screams of this young college student as a pride of lions had come into his tent and were dragging him off to his death. Doug Payne, who does a lot of hunting, and you've heard Doug, he has a couple of lions that are stuffed. One of them is a full body of a stuffed lion. On Doug's desk, Doug has the skull of a bear, a grizzly bear, and the skull of a lion. I don't know about you, but if I saw, to me, a bear is a massive creature. But folks, listen closely. The skull of the jaws of that lion are probably twice as big as that of the bear. A lion's roar can be heard four to five miles away. And it is designed to paralyze its victim when it's on a hunt. My grandson, his name is Judah, and he often will wear a t-shirt that says, the lion of the tribe of Judah. I want you to take your Bibles, look at, because that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about this son, Jacob's son, whose name is Judah. In Genesis chapter 49, beginning at verse 8, and let's go ahead and stand in honor of God's Word. Jacob is speaking to his sons. He's called them together. He now turns to Judah. He said, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter 
than, than milk. Let's pray together. Again, Lord, we thank you. And we pray, dear Lord, that you'll enliven and, and dear Lord, to use your spirit to speak in the hearts of men and women in this room. Lord, I pray you cleanse me. Let me be a vessel that you can use. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now, real quickly, let, let's do some background here. Jacob has called together his sons. His life is about to end. And you can just picture this scene. He has his staff nearby because he still probably battles with this dislocated hip. His sons are all gathered around, all 12 sons. Now, he's already, he started off with who? He started off with the eldest, and that was Reuben. And he tells Reuben, he says, Reuben, he said, you're as unstable as water. You lack principle. You slept with my concubine. You have no convictions. Now, you may say, well, is that a blessing? We said truth is always a blessing. So he says to Reuben, he says, Reuben, unless you change, this will be what is going to happen to you and what will continue to happen. And we said that it was generational because 500 years later in the book of Judges, under that judge named Deborah, she sings a song about the Reubenites and she says they missed out on the battle because they were sitting around the camp rather than engaged in warfare. Because, she said, they were second-guessing. Now, he then turns to Simeon and Levi, and he says, you are sons of violence. And he refers back to the Shechemites. You remember that young man, Shechem, who had raped their sister, Simeon and Levi's sister, Dinah, the daughter of Leah. And after they raped her, the Shechemites then came, and they said, listen... We want to intermarry with your women. We want y'all to be a part of us, us to be a part of you. And so Simeon and Levi hatched this plan by which they would talk the Shechemites into circumcision. So these grown men circumcised one another, and while they were healing, Simeon and Levi went through the village of the Shechemites and killed every single man, every male, and then took all the pillage. So Jude, uh, so Jacob turns to Simeon and Levi and he said, your swords are not designed to protect yourself, but instead you're violent men and you use your sword for violence. And we talked about these men were hotheads and how Jacob would go on. He says this, he said, Simeon and Levi, you'll be scattered and absorbed into the nation of Israel. Now the, the Simeonites would eventually be grafted in into, into the tribe of Judah. The, the, the Levites would eventually be... Did I say... Did I get it right? Simeon and Levi? Simeon and Levi. The Levites... This is his cold medicine. The Levites would eventually be scattered throughout the nation of Israel as priests. Now he comes to Judah. And you can imagine the emotions because I'm sure that Judah was probably thinking to himself, it's not looking good. Reuben, he's outside, around the corner, licking his wounds and trying to debate on what he's going to do next. Simeon and Levi probably stepped out to vent their anger. 
So I can imagine that Judah is standing there with fear and apprehension when Jacob says, Judah, step forward. I'm getting ready to bless you. Now, I always, I kind of figured that Benjamin, being the youngest, he probably stepped outside and said, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, get back in here. The camel poop is getting ready to hit the fan. Because why? Because Judah had a lot of baggage. Let me walk you back through the life of Judah real quickly. Number one, Genesis chapter 37, verse 26 and 27. You don't have to turn back there, but let me remind you. When they were going to carry out this conspiracy against Joseph, their brother. You remember they were jealous, they were filled with resentment toward, toward Joseph, and finally they said, listen, we're going to kill him. We're just going to kill him. Here he comes. We're going to kill him. Judah smiles and says, look, let's don't kill him. Let's make a little money. Why don't we sell him to the Ishmaelite traders that are going down to Egypt, and we'll get rid of him that way, and we'll pocket a little cash on top of that. Let me ask you something. Who does that sound like? Just, take, just change the H to an S. Who does it sound like? Sounds like, well, no, that wouldn't, is that right? no, that wouldn't quite work. But it sounds like Judas rather than Judah. So number two, in Genesis chapter 38, verse 1, after Joseph is down in Egypt and they told the father, Jacob, you remember they, they got his old coat of many colors, put some lamb's blood on it. Carried it back to Jacob and said, listen, undoubtedly the wild animals got him. And Jacob begins to go through this grieving process. Listen, number 2, chapter 38, verse 1, Judah leaves. He can't watch his father go through this. He can't watch his dad grieve himself to death over a lie that he's been a part of. Now let me tell you, I was riding down the interstate and I was thinking, God, what is it about Judah? And it was like God began to impress upon me, Judah was the prodigal out of the twelve. Judah, in chapter 38, verse 1, he can't watch his father grieve. He's running from his conscience, probably, of what he did to his brother Joseph. And he runs off, and listen to what he does. He marries a Canaanite woman. The Canaanites, they were to stay away from him. They were to remove him. He weds them. Instead of being like Abraham and Isaac or Jacob, he's more like Ishmael and Esau. Number three, life begins to kick him around. He has two sons. One is named Ur, the other is Onan. Ur dies. His son Ur dies. Onan then dies under the judgment of God. So you begin to get the feeling here that life is starting to kick Judah around because God is wanting to do something in Judah's life and he's not ready yet. I wrote this down. God will do whatever he has to do to bring you under his lordship. God wants to use Judah, this prodigal, but he is in the process of breaking Judah down. And listen, God will do whatever he has to do to bring you under his lordship. Number four, 
His family begins to get hit. He loses two sons, Ur and Onan. The logical thing is, is that his daughter-in-law, Tamar, who is now the widow of two of his sons, is entitled to be married to his third son, Shelah. But Judah says, this girl is bad blood. I've already lost two sons. I'm not about to give her to Shelah. So Tamar, at harvest time, goes to the temple, puts a cloak over her face, and pretends to be a temple prostitute. And lo and behold, here's Judah, who is a widow, two dead sons. He's been without a woman for a while. And here this, what he thinks is a temple prostitute, is going to sleep with him. So Judas, but she says this. She said, but i got to be paid. And he said, well, i tell you what I'll do. I'll give you a young goat. I don't have the young goat with me, so what I'll do, I'll leave my driver's license. I mean, I'll leave my, I'll leave my seal, my necklace, and my staff as a down payment to let you know that I'm going to come back or I'm going to send the goat back to you. They go to bed. They sleep there at the temple. She's a temple prostitute. She gets pregnant. Number five, God is beginning to do something in his life. Tamar finds out that she's pregnant. She finds out too that now she is getting ready to twist this plot. And so what she does, well, not what she does, the rulers or the town leaders come to Judah and they say, your daughter-in-law Tamar is pregnant. She's with child. And he got with the town leaders and they went and they were going to carry out basically Levitical law before Levitical law came into practice. They were going to stone her to death Tamar says, wait a minute, before you do that, I've got some things I want to show you. She pulled out his driver's license, his cell phone. No, she pulled out his necklace, his seal, which was his business transaction stamp into wax, his seal, his necklace, and his staff. And she looks at them and she says, the one who is the father of this baby is the owner of these things. Uh oh. Judah then says about Tamar, he says, She's shown more integrity than I have. She's not guilty. He never slept with her. She gave birth to two twins, Perez and Zerah. Now let's take a breath. You probably feel like you've been sitting in a, a season of one of the soap operas, and now you're coming. Some of you are sitting here going, Number six, what stands in front of Jacob is a broken man. He's a widower, a a father of two dead sons, another son, Shelah, who's unwed probably. He has two more sons that are the result of an incestuous relationship with his daughter-in-law, and he's the accomplice to the crime that had been committed against Joseph. Number seven, He has been ripped apart by life. He is emotionally a broken man. Spiritually, he's a humble man. And he's filled with shame and regret. And he has skeletons in his closet. 
That's why Benjamin said, Reuben, Levi, Simeon, get in here. The prodigal is getting ready to get it now. And all of a sudden, you see Jacob. The old man, as he now rests and he comes to his feet, and these brothers are crowded in, they're thinking, man, he's probably getting ready to... Jacob stands to his feet. He's dying. He's dying. He leans against his staff and he begins to weep. And he says, Judah, you are a lion and out of you will come lions, military leaders, rulers, kings, your brothers, Joseph, second only to Pharaoh here in the land that we now live in, Egypt. He, along with all your brothers, will bow at your feet. You are the Lion of Judah. The scepter will never leave you. You'll be a ruler for eternity. Out of your loins will come kings and leaders, and military might, and the king of kings. Look at verses 8 through 12. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on their neck, on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son will bow down to you. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub. Oh, Judah, you return from the prey, my son. I remember one time years ago at the lion park, one of the guys looked at me and said, would you like to have some fun? I said, yes, I would. He said, hang on a minute. And all of a sudden, he brought three lion cubs out there, and I laid down, and these lion cubs just played and jumped. They looked like little kittens. And I just got down there and playing with these lion cubs for a long, extended period of time, realizing that as they mature and grow, the lion cubs that are playing on me would be able to rip me to pieces in a matter of seconds. He said, Judah, you are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness who dares to rouse him, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs. And the obedience of the nations is here. He is talking here is his. He is here talking about Jesus Christ. Out of you, the messianic line, shall come the king of kings. Wow. And every knee will bow, Paul said, and every tongue confess that he is Lord. I think there's one more thing here, and I wrote it down about Judah. Because I believe that there was a discussion between Jacob and Joseph. And Joseph looked at Jacob and he said, Father, he said, Judah is a changed man. He's not the same. When I, when I had, before I had revealed my identity, I had planted my cup, my silver cup, in the bag of Benjamin. 
I was going to take Benjamin and put him into prison. Judah stood, out of all the brothers, Judah stood and said, listen, if you do this, if we do not go back with our youngest brother, you will put my father, Jacob, in his grave. He became the mediator, the intercessor. And Judah said this, he said, listen, take me, make me a slave, kill me, but let my brother go free. I think that Joseph told Jacob, he's a different man. He's a mediator. He's the man of mercy. Let me real quickly, before we close, let me give you two attributes of a lion. Number one, first of all, there's two qualities that separate a lion. Number one is strength, right? Now, now let, me, let me cross this over and say that same strength is in you and I. In fact, do you know that a coward will not enter the kingdom of heaven? Do you know what Jesus said? He said, if you're not willing to confess me before men, I'll not confess you before my Father in heaven. Do you realize that no coward will enter the kingdom of heaven? You have the heart of a lion living in you. You have all the strength, as Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who what? Who strengthens me. I'm going to tell you folks, and I'm going to make some of you mad. If I had my way, and I could, I would quit the ministry right now, I'd walk to my vehicle, and I'd never step foot in a pulpit again. One of the reasons. Because of watching God's people abuse the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body. You may not like that, but had Jesus lived his life the way most Westerners are living their life, he could have never withstood the all-night trial, he could have never stood up to the beatings, and he could have never ascended the cross of Calvary had he not been in physical condition to do so. He did not abuse his body, and you should not yours either. It is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And today Americans are so undisciplined physically, we are destroying ourselves without the enemy ever picking up anything to begin to attack us. A lion is known by his strength. A good coach teaches his players the disciplines in order to develop that strength so that it can be used. And my friend, you have disciplines as a child of God, disciplines of the faith. One of the great running backs, and I had an opportunity to meet him, was Walter Payton, the great running back for the Chicago Bears. They said, Jackson State said this, they said that when practice was over and all the rest of the team had gotten cleaned up and were getting into their vehicles, leaving, when the players were leaving, they could hear this sound as they were driving off. Back and forth. Up and down. Bleacher after bleacher. Up and down. Coaching staff would leave. Players would leave. And I really believe to this day he was the greatest running back that ever picked up a football. 
it was said that he was in such condition in this part of his legs that his wife, he could not buy clothing like you and I bought it, would buy it. His wife made his trousers because that was the only way he could find anything that would fit him. He was disciplined. And for the child of God, this means physically, morally, disciplined. This is what we do. And it's going to take everything for you and I to be disciplined, even in the area of electronics. Some of us are keeping company in Facebook that we need to unfriend and we need to move away from that. Let me tell you what I do. When people slander church leaders, I unfriend them. When people like somebody who's slandering church leaders, I unfriend them. When people are doctrinally confused and they're spreading that on Facebook, I unfriend them. You see, sometimes the idea of holiness, hagias, is the discipline of pulling away from those things that may be affecting your spiritual strength. Because God wants you to have the heart of a lion. But what company do you and I keep that in all honesty we compromise only to find ourselves not having the strength that we need? Let me give you a principle There is no spiritual strength without the disciplines of our faith as to what we put in our bodies, what we put in our minds, what we put into our souls. Strength. Secondly, courage. You remember the Wizard of Oz? Dorothy, skipping down the road and came in contact with the scarecrow. Came in contact with the... um, tin man and then she met who she met the lion each one of them had something that they wanted the 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 scarecrow he he wanted a brain the tin man he wanted a heart but what did the lion want if i were king of the forest He wanted courage. Listen, because a lion without courage is unnatural. Whoever heard of a timid, frightened lion? A Christian without courage is unnatural. Because the lion of the tribe of Judah is living in you. Let me ask you something. Was Jesus ever a coward? Did he ever show any fear? Absolutely not. Storm. He's walking on it. Storm. Shut it up. Be still. Demonic presence. Spirit-filled beings, shut it up. Courage. A kind of courage that startles people. The Bible talks about an upright man. An upright man. 
An upright man walks like this. Let me tell you something. Your pants down on your butt and half your boxers showing. Riding a bike is not an upright man. But before you're offended by that, Wall Street crooks or a politician that compromises in a private area, he's just as unupright as that. You see, God's called us to be upright men. Men and women of integrity, they hold themselves up. I remember Coach McLeod, the Bell Haven's baseball field is named after him. When I went to that church at First Baptist Fannin, was doing interim there. My sons, Ledge and Jeffrey, walked up and introduced themselves, or Coach McLeod did them, and all of a sudden he stopped right in the middle of the church there. And he said, son, he said, boys, when you, when you shake some man's hand, stand up erect. Hold your chest out. Put your hand out there. Don't give me a cold fish. Give me a strong, sure hand. Upright. Taught my boys how to shake hand. He just reiterated what their father and their grandfather were trying to teach them. There's one thing that bothers me about my little Chinese grandson. And he's an interesting character. He laughs and he smiles and he has such a beautiful personality. But he walks like this. He'll slip up behind me and he'll pinch me and then run off. But a lot of times he walks bent over. And I want to teach him to walk upright. You see, what the enemy would love to do is steal your courage. What the enemy would love to do is for you and I to compromise our strength because thereby he's able to win victories into our lives, in our lives. There's a scene in Woodlawn. If you haven't gone to see the movie Woodlawn, I would highly suggest it. I think it's a $5 day at most of the theaters this afternoon. But in Woodlawn, there's this young man. I think his name's Tony. Is it Tony Nathan? Trying to remember. Played for the NFL for years. Ten years he played with the NFL. He was an unbelievable running back. Woodlawn is the story of one of the largest gathering of high schools ever ascended for one single high school ball game because both teams had committed their lives to Christ. And it was a great public. In fact, when the coach went out to lead in prayer the superintendent of education, I believe it was him, he cut the sound and this crowd, tens of thousands of people, began to say the Lord's Prayer. It was truly genuine. But I love the scene because Bear Bryant, Bear Bryant, the great coach of the Crimson Tide, Alabama, he comes to talk to this boy and he tells this boy this. He says, son, I'm not interested in building athletes. I'm interested in building men. In fact, there's one scene, I love it. All of a sudden, Bear Bryant walks up onto the porch of this home, this old run-down little home there in the suburb or a, a inner city of Birmingham. And he looks at this young man who comes out, this top scout, I mean, this top athlete. He, 
he, he comes out, he sees Bear Bryant walking up. Bear Bryant's coming up the steps. And about that time, maybe his mom's behind him. And Bear Bryant looks and says, I'm not leaving till you sign with, I'm not leaving till you sign with Alabama. But you know what he did? He convinced that mother that he was more concerned about building a man than about building a ball team. Let me, let me close, but I want you to hear me. I wrote this down, a lion, and I've lived among lions. I've seen lions. A lion is not subservient to the Cape Buffalo. Let me tell you, a Cape Buffalo, a Cape Buffalo is an extremely dangerous animal. Our mission, one of our missionaries, a nurse in our hospital, had a daughter. She married a young man in Zimbabwe on their honeymoon. They were in monopools, and it's a place where you're out with the animals. And she got up, she walked out, she walked out in that tall grass, and all of a sudden she came on a Cape Buffalo, and the Cape Buffalo came up and literally charged her, attacked her, and killed her on her honeymoon. But I wrote this down. A lion is not subservient to a Cape Buffalo. He will go into a herd, he will climb the back of that animal, he will bring that massive animal down, and he will break that animal's neck with his jaws almost always in a pride. And Reggie warned us last week, there are no lone rangers in the body of Christ. I wrote this down. The only time a lion is in the company of a Cape Buffalo is when that Cape Buffalo is on the hunt. The only time that a believer is in the company of unbelievers is when we are on the hunt for a convert. The key to courage and how we lose. Let me tell you the most dangerous verse of all. You know what the most dangerous verse of all? Look this way. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. James 4, 7 has gotten more people in the faith beat up by the enemy than anybody else. Is that verse correct? No. It's not correct. The Bible says... In James 4, 7, it says, Submit therefore unto God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. When you and I submit, when we come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and we begin to live for Him, then God begins us to give us this courage and the strength now to stand boldly against our enemy and to resist him and he flees. You see, that's just like the enemy. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You know, submit hupotasso in the Greek. Come under the lordship of Jesus Christ and he, our enemy, will only then, when you and I resist, and that authority, flee. Proverbs 28.1, you can go ahead and stand. Proverbs 28, 1 says this, the righteous, listen to this, listen to this, everybody look this way. Proverbs 28, 1 says this, the righteous are as bold as a lion. Let me ask you something. In the Wizard of Oz, when the wizard is getting ready to pass out, he comes to the lion. And what does he give the lion? What? What? Okay, he gave him, he gave him a certificate or something to, 
verified, but it was nothing, it was just something outward. You're thinking to yourself, that it didn't make any difference. You see, I thought about this. I thought how often we go to baptism, we go to church membership, and we think, if I have this, if I have that, then I'll have the indwelling Holy Spirit. No. It only comes when you and I go to the one who's the only one who can give it, Jesus Christ. And we say to Jesus, Jesus, I repent of my sin, and I stand here before you, and I ask you to come into my heart, into my life, and he begins to change us from the inside out. Listen to Proverbs, listen to Revelation 5. Don't turn there. John the beloved is in heaven. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven and on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, John, John, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He has triumphed. He's able to open the scrolls and break the seven seals. The scroll was a picture of the title deed to creation that had been lost by man to sin. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for sin. He bought back the scroll. He bought back the ownership of your life and in my life and creation through His blood. He paid through His blood. And He loves you. And you may be here today and you, you say, you know, Brother Jeff, I'm not very bold. Be honest with you, I'm just a coward. It may be because you've never given your heart and life to Christ. You've never opened up your life and said, Lord Jesus, come in, live inside of me. There are others in this room, you may say, you know, I can remember a time when I was bold, when I would witness to a telephone pole. I mean, I was bold, but something's happened to me, Brother Jeff. I don't feel that spiritual strength anymore. I've become a coward at school, where I work in other places, but I don't like who I am, and I, don't, I want to be different. Maybe you have compromised your strength. Maybe you have compromised your courage because you forgot the disciplines of our faith. Folks, listen to me and then we'll pray. Last week, I was at First Baptist Church, Boonville. I, I leaned over to Sheila and I, I literally, I was so, I went to the bathroom. I was so anxious. I was so filled with absolute fear and anxiety, almost to the point of panic. And I leaned over to Sheila in the song service and I said, I feel so inadequate and I have never experienced this kind of spiritual warfare, an attack of the enemy. Pray for me. But there came that moment. I'd been on my face before the Lord. I grabbed up God's word. I went to the pulpit. And my friend God came down. God came down in the choir. I looked, the choir was crying. I looked out, and I haven't seen this in a long time. Senior adult, old men were bent over weeping. I mean, snotty tears pouring. 
I'm going to tell you the problem in this church sometimes. We forgot. Where are you today? Where are you today? Let me pray for you. Our Heavenly Father, and I pray for me too. We pray, dear Lord, that you would look within us. Lord, if there's one here, a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, who is not right with you, they've never given their life to you. God, you're speaking right now into their heart, into their life and saying right now, this is the time. You're saying to some man or woman, I want you to go down in this invitation and I want you to take the hand of that pastor, that staff member. I want you to give your heart and life to me and I want you to do it publicly because everyone that Jesus called, He called publicly. When I married Sheila, I didn't elope. I married her publicly. I wanted everybody to know the covenant that I made with her before God. So Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you today, that they would come and they would settle that. For others in this room that, dear Lord, they've lost the heart of the lion. Over time, dear Lord, they have become a coward. They're not as bold about their faith. More often than not, dear Lord, they hide a meal. They hide a grace before their meal. They whisper it so quickly. Or, dear Lord, they just simply have quit witnessing and quit sharing. And God, they've lost the heart of the lion. Would you bring them back to the disciplines of the faith and give them what they've lost? Lord, we pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to be in this invitation. And whatever decisions need to be made, whether it's just to gather here at this altar and say, God, give me back that heart. Give me that lion's heart, dear Lord. Give me my courage. Give me my strength back, your strength, your courage. And Lord, we'll give you all the praise in the name of Jesus. We pray. Amen.